Have any of y'all made an earthquake preparedness kit for the big one? No. no. Are, they say, are they saying it's no a yes. big one's coming? You, like you actually have, you've thought it through a little bit? It's, well, it's all currently sitting in my cart on Amazon. <laughs> I'm just waiting till I have the my money set aside and then click buy. He's all. waiting for the earthquake to happen and then he'll order it. So and then that. he'll expect overnight. <laughs> yeah. And complain if he doesn't get it from Amazon. <laughs> nope, you said two days. Same day delivery. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I haven't prepared much. Um, Mary Beth, I feel like we have a lot of canned foods. Um, but that's, and we've got some flashlights somewhere. Not very prepared. But on my wonder list, to-do list thingy, yes. I have a, a to-do item that's called prepare emergency earthquake kit. And I keep like postponing it, you know, till next week and next week. I think I originally did it. I, I started thinking about it about a year ago. I remember talking to um, Sarah Saponian because she said her and Edgar put together packet and I was like oh that would be good I'd like to do it and so we talked about it anyways I haven't pursued it um, an earthquake like a massive earthquake that's something that it does no good to prepare after the fact like that earthquake preparedness kit we have to buy beforehand one reason why I push it off or feel safe to push it off is because it's been so long since uh, since we had a, another big earthquake like that in like centered in or around LA, right? And so I just think, well, it, it's been 20 years or whatever, surely it's not gonna happen tomorrow, or surely I can bump it on my list, you know, for another week or so. And I've been doing that for a few months. Um, then a couple weeks ago, we feel this little bit of the earthquake from Ridgecrest that were it? That's it, right? Mm -hmm. And it it reminds me, and I'm like, oh shoot, like this is more important. And so I bumped it up on my list. Still this week, I haven't uh, taken care of it. I've, I've got the list written out. I just want to go over it and with Mary Beth and make sure that it has the right stuff and we're not going overboard. Because I might go overboard. <laughs> can you just buy two and we'll two of them? <laughs> can, you, can you buy three and I'll pay you back? <laughs> <laughs> you got a business here. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think if uh, when when or if a big kind of catastrophic earthquake hits LA, I think there'll be a lot of people who are not ready anyway. Um, come back to that thought in a little bit. Maybe see the connection to what we're studying. Um, real quickly from last week. Jesus, in his longest uh, sermon or longest teaching in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 13, is answering a question of the disciples or a couple questions of the disciples. Remember what question he's answering? What will be the signs of these things? Okay. What, what will be the signs? We think from Matthew's gospel, what will be the sign of, of the coming of the Son of Man or kind of the when... I, I would say that when is when is the kingdom as we expect it going to finally be here? Because it seems to be not here as we expected right now. Um, also, they're asking for a more specific kind of event. It seems. You remember? When the temple will fall. Yeah, when the temple will be destroyed. So they're like, not really knowing what to say after Jesus is having all these confrontations with religious leaders and he's saying some crazy stuff, and then. As they're walking away from the temple, the disciples are like, oh, look how beautiful the temple is. And wanting maybe to get some good news uh, from Jesus. And finally, like, oh, this one temple, this thing that we love, this is um, the, the rock of our you know, faith, and this is the center of our religion. And Jesus gives one more devastating blow, saying, oh, by the way, that temple, uh, there's going to be not one stone left atop another that's not been thrown down. And so they ask him, when, when are these things going to happen? And it seems that in chapter 13, Jesus is answering that. Um, real quick, Jesus kind of says, here's what's going to happen. He gives them a warning with some of these things. Number one here, kind of in the first section, verses 5 through 13, he says there's going to be false Christ. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. 
earthquakes, famine, persecutions, death. It's all that like bad news. But remember in that first one, Jesus says that these are the beginning of the birth pains. It, it hasn't come yet. When you see these things, it hasn't come yet. And then he says uh, there's going to come an abomination of desolation, the tribulation, and false Christ. He says through these things, it's not come yet, so persevere through those. I'll give you the words to say, endure to the end, and you'll be saved. To this thing, the abomination of desolation, he says, at that point, flee. Because, you know, like, get out of Judea. Get out of the area, because the temple's going to be destroyed. And then, sometime after the abomination of desolation, tribulation, more false Christ, in verse 24 through 27, we see kind of a... a, a final um, consummation of the kingdom of God when uh, Christ returns uh, there's going to be some some kind of celestial heavenly signs and um, the son of man will come on the clouds and there's a gathering of God's elect okay and then there's a few more things after that that Mark doesn't even write down um, we talked about what has happened and what has not happened. In this first section here, we said these things, certainly the disciples that Jesus was talking to, the disciples saw these things happen. And not only did they see them happen, but throughout history, we continue to see these types of things happen. But certainly the disciples saw some of the beginnings of the birth pains, and maybe we still see some of those things. Um, so yes, those have happened. Number two, have those things happened? The abomination, desolation, tribulation, false Christ, um, false Christ, yes. Um, the answer that we kind of gave this last week was yes, they've, they've kind of happened. I'm not sure if that's the exact event that Jesus was talking about, but it, it, it looks like it, it looks similar. Um, much of it was fulfilled uh, answering their question what, what, when it would happen. Um, well, Jesus didn't give them a date, but much of it was fulfilled in AD 70, like we mentioned last week. Number three, this one we know for certain has, has not happened. The Son of Man, Jesus, has not returned yet. But I think, I don't, I, I don't think we've seen that. He'd come on the clouds, um, and everybody will see it in the gathering of the elect. Otherwise, I guess we shouldn't be sitting here now. Um... Last thing on last week, despite different views on the timing of some of these things, specifically in the middle, and um, yeah, dis despite different and things that are not even mentioned here that are mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, specifically in Revelation, despite different views. Christians agree. Christ will return, no doubt. There will be the bodily resurrection of the saved and unsaved, everybody who's died. There will be a last judgment uh, before the eternal state. And in that eternal state, then Satan and death and Hades uh, will be destroyed or constrained forever. Okay? Um, moving along to this week in verse 28. We're just going to finish out the chapter. I'm going to briefly mention a few things here, and then we'll get into some applications. So verse 28 says this. From, this is, we believe, just part of the same little spiel that Jesus has, has just given. Okay? Verse 28. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My opinion is that Jesus here is talking about question number one, when will the temple be destroyed? Um, he says in verse 23, I believe, um, I've told you all things beforehand. 
he says, number one, the end is not yet. And then number two, it's like he's saying, now. Okay, now is when the temple will be destroyed. Um, if you look uh, in the ESV in verse, what is it, 29, it says, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near. The he there, I don't know if there's a note in, in a lot of the ESVs or uh, if you're reading NIV, I think, or one of the other major translations that says it, you know that it is near. I'm not a Greek expert. Maybe I'll send Eric to go off and study that. Or, um, But it, it seems to be that it can be either of those, it or he. So when you see these things take place, arguably, um, you know that it is near at the very gates is it being Jesus either returns or it is near the temple being destroyed is near. So um, I think he's answering when the temple is going to be destroyed, talking about this picture. But I don't think we have to get caught up into that specifically. Um, how interesting, though, that Jesus uses this illustration of the fig tree and its, how it puts out its leaves in the spring, which is a recurring process. You see the fig tree, its, its, its branches become tender, it puts out its leaves in the spring, and you know that summer is coming, but then later in that winter it's going to lose those leaves, and then the next spring it's actually going to put out more leaves, and then another summer is coming. And so I, I find it interesting that... Um, maybe what this verse kind of insinuates. I think Jesus has talked to the disciples saying, hey, when you see these things, know that it's know that the destruction of Jerusalem is near. Okay? When you see the fig tree put out its leaves, know that the summer is near. I think that in, in our understanding of it, and a fine application for us, is that um, every time we see these types of things, which we kind of see repeated on and off throughout history, we are not to expect that Christ necessarily, because that's happened, now he's going to necessarily return immediately, but we are to be reminded when we see these things that he will return. Summer is coming. So every time spring comes around, we see these leaves and we see these signs and we see wars and earthquakes and famine and persecution and tribulation and false Christ. Every time we see these things, we're, oh, oh yeah, this, it is these types of things that, are, that mark some of the um, birth pains of creation and of mankind. And so every time we see springtime events, we are stirred up and reminded of the return of Jesus. It's like the Ridgequake earthquakes, Ridgecrest earthquakes. Um, for us, it wasn't the big one, but we are reminded that, oh, oh yeah, I should be prepared for some, something bigger that may be coming. So I don't think, again, this, this is my opinion, I want to be careful here, but I don't think we're looking for one particular event to warn us of the end, like of, of Christ's return. I think when he comes in the clouds, that's, that's already, that's the end. There's no, that's not the, um, there's no changing your mind after that. Um, but as we see these types of events happening, described in Mark 5 through 23, we say, oh yeah, and we wake up and we say, it is happening, Christ is going to return, and it could be soon. We're not necessarily waiting for anything else. All right, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, I think he's talking here about the, the second coming, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. By the way, this is one of the main ways that we 
are convinced that Mark was writing to a Roman audience. And there's a number of different things that kind of give us hints, but when he mentions four sections of the night, evening, midnight, when the rooster crows in the morning, those kind of four, I think, three-hour breaks, that's a Roman way from history we know to gauge time versus a Jewish way has kind of three watches in the night. So we think that's just, if you're curious, that's one of the big um, hints that Mark is writing Roman Christians. So I mentioned last week that this is where we want to go tonight. How does Jesus want his disciples to respond to this information? I'm certain that I've said some things that aren't completely accurate. Um, but I do know it's clear the types of response that Jesus is wanting his disciples to have. So my, my goal is to make sure that we look at that and, and walk away with that tonight. Um, in this sermon, I mentioned last week, there are 19 commands of Jesus to those disciples. Here's how you ought to live. A lot of times we think end times and we just kind of roll it around in our heads and have dialogues and read books and have debates and whatever. Um, that's not what Jesus is going for. He wants his disciples to respond. So I want to do just a quick kind of exercise together and read through Mark chapter uh, 13, starting in verse 5. Um, and I want to just have this exercise of looking for the uh, commands or the imperative words of Christ. Um, this is, I think, a good um, a good thing to do. It's a good part of your Bible study is when you're when you're looking. There's there's parts of Scripture um, that are, um, I guess the term is indicatives that are just talking about things that will happen, and then you have imperatives where Jesus is giving a command, saying you need to do this. So um, start in in verse five and just tell me. Uh, as you go along the first like, command that you see. See. Okay, so that, yeah, the, and the, maybe the fullness of the command. See to it that no one leads you astray. That's certainly a command. Okay, what's next? Don't be alarmed. Yep, don't be alarmed. Verse 7, the end of verse 7. The other things before that is Jesus describing things. What's next? Be on guard. Well, you're so fast, Clayton. Sorry. Uh, yes, be on your guard. I think is the is the next one. You're going to be persecuted. He's saying so. So be on guard. Be ready for this. What's next? Proclaim the gospel. Technically, no. Do not be anxious. It must first be <laughs> proclaimed to the nations. It's implied. Um, yeah, verse eleven. Uh, do not be anxious beforehand about what you're going to say. Yeah. There's one right after that, but say whatever is given to you, just, just to be exact. So don't be anxious about what to say is one commandment, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. Endure till the end. Um, I mean, it's not put in command. Yeah, or not technically. I could say, I mean, that's right. definitely implied a command, yeah. Something about the implications here. <laughs> What's next? Flee to the mountains? Yes, flee to the mountains. So when you see the abomination of desolation, flee. Actually, there's there's one more in 14... Let the reader understand. Yeah, I think that's a. I think. Uh, I think it's imperative. Anyway, yeah. Oh, it's is it one of the other weird? Okay. Oh, it's The understanding is a command. I like that, I like that one. <laughs> the understanding leads to. Okay, I'm going to give you the ones in 15 through 18. Uh, don't go down off your housetop. Don't enter the house. Don't take anything out. Um, don't turn back and take your cloak. And pr 
pray that it may not happen in winter. Okay? What comes after that? Don't believe people who say, here is the Christ. Yep, verse 21. Don't believe them when they say that they're the Christ. Be on your guard. Be on yep. your guard. Yep, verse 23. Be on your guard. You got it, Melissa. One point. I've been watching Survivor. One, one vote, Melissa. Three votes, Clayton. <laughs> But he gets negatives for all those implications. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and he got a wrong answer, too. So. Okay. Negative four. Okay. So next one on 29. When do you see these take place? No. Um, there's one just before that, and from the fig tree, learns, learn its lesson. That's oh, yeah. uh, learn is a command. But yeah, 29. Uh, yeah, that one, that one in twenty nine is is actually our, our. I don't think that ESV does a good a good translation of it. Um, he says in twenty eight, when the branches become tender, put out its leaves. You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, it's really know that he is near. So it's, he's commanding them. Know he's near at the very gates. Be on guard. Keep awake. Yeah, there's two in verse 33. Be on guard and keep awake. You don't know the, the day or the hour. Stay awake again. Stay awake in 35. And lastly, 37. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Keep awake. Cool. I, I just noticed on this reading, it's interesting to me, in verses 24 through 27, when he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, which didn't happen during the lives of the disciples, he's describing those events. He gives them no commands, understandably now, during that time, because they're not going to be alive during that time. <laughs> All right. How would you all, if you had to see a repeated command or two in there, like what are what's some some good summary or or um... stay awake, be on guard. There they are. Be on guard and stay awake or keep awake. That's kind of there. There's a lot of other things in there, but that's um, that's a good. I think the be on guard that that term is used. Uh, four times and the awake terms used three or four times, especially at the end. It's like, hey, be awake, be awake, stay awake, stay awake. So, are you? Um, I mentioned this last week. These signs aren't meant to, like, these types of things aren't meant to predict the second coming of Christ. Um, we've seen many attempts and many fails of the telling the exact time that Jesus is going to return. I looked him up. Um, there, I mean, maybe we just have more record of them now. That's probably the case. But just in recent years, it's like every year there's somebody with some end-of-the-earth uh, kind of prediction into the world. Um, I don't think Jesus gives us, gives the disciples this to predict his second coming, but to prepare for his second coming. Not to predict, but to prepare. Well, how should we prepare? Do we prepare by stockpiling a bunch of groceries, like as for an earthquake, or there's going to be some attack on us that we need to make sure that we have enough band-aids to care for ourselves? Or do we need to prepare by, when we think that it's about to happen, we need to make sure our bank accounts are drained, that we've spent all that we can for the Lord on his work, and we haven't kept anything for ourselves? Like, what's the preparation that you'd call us to? Um, I think we can, we can summarize those things down to these two summarizing commands that you all said, uh, which are summarized in verse 33. The main commands. 
Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard. Keep awake. Be on guard. He says be on guard for um, two, um, two kind of specific reasons. The first one that he says twice to be on guard for, I think in verses 5 and 23, are be on guard, don't be led away by false Christs. Okay, this is what he's telling the first century disciples. Um, as we mentioned last week, throughout history, there have been plenty of false Christs. Um, even currently, there are several false Christs going around. There's a Puerto Rican Jesus and a Mexican Jesus and a um, Siberian Jesus who's very popular and um, an Australian Jesus who's not very popular. You can watch his YouTube videos. Um, interesting, interestingly, they uh, all have long hair and a beard and look very Jesus-like. Um, recently, I had, um, or not, not so recently, a number of years ago, I had a family member decide to join a religion who follows a man who... Um, is being compared to he, the second coming of Christ. He hasn't claimed necessarily to be Messiah, but that's kind of what things are pointing to in this man. And on the surface, it was like, well, this is easy to rule out. This, this is just a cult. Of course, this man isn't the Christ. But on the other hand, I had just a kind of a moment of in time, I remember when I was thinking, well, how do I know for sure that this dude is not Christ? Like, what? how... How am I going to know when he's returning? I mean, the first time Jesus came, most people didn't know who he was, right? And he came in a way that was unexpected, and he came in just this kind of lowly person that just lived kind of a normal life for some time, it seemed like. So I had this kind of crisis where I'm like, well, oh gosh, what if this family member of mine is right, and what if this person is actually Messiah, come again, Jesus? Um So how will we know when we see Jesus? Oh, we'll know. Okay, you listened last week. <laughs> um, verse 24. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give us light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Coming in clouds with great power and glory. If you remember the beginning of the book of Acts, his disciples are, are, are looking up into the sky after he's lifted up. Jesus is, has left earth and he's, he's ascended to the Father. And they are um, gazing into heaven. And the two angels tell those disciples that he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, which it described clearly. He went up in a cloud into heaven, so he's going to come back in the same way in the clouds. We mentioned last week, Matthew 24, as lightning comes from the east and, the, and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And all the tribes of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. All the tribes of the earth. Revelation 1 says, every eye will see him. Like Clayton said, we will know. We won't be wondering when the Son of Man comes again. Don't be led astray by false Christ. That's the first kind of part. Be on guard. Watch out. There's going to be some guys maybe that do a better job than the Australian Jesus at, at convincing people that they are the Christ. Certainly as things kind of heat up in the world and there's people who are offering things that seem on the surface like good ideas, um, be on guard. Another reason that he says to be on guard is in verses 9 through 13 to be on guard and endure suffering for the gospel. The purpose of persecution, it uh, looks like in verse 10, um, is that it, it is contributing to preaching the gospel. I mentioned last week, you read the book of Acts, and you're going to see how God is using persecution 
to preach the gospel through those who are being persecuted. Um, the gospel must be preached to all nations, and persecution is a vehicle that um, is moving it in that direction. I love how Luke's account says it. Uh, this will be your opportunity to bear witness, he says. When you're being persecuted and you're being flogged and you're being brought before kings and governors, this will be your opportunity to witness. Like we think of opportunities, we just, you know, have to create those for ourselves and we have to, you know, do some sort of event. You say, no, when you're persecuted, that's when you have a great opportunity to preach the gospel. Um, Mark is writing this to Roman Christians, saying that persecution and suffering doesn't mean that we should lose hope. The people who are receiving this letter from, from Mark as it's being passed around are headed into persecution. I think they're getting close to the destruction of the temple. We think it's that that is about when they're receiving this letter. And they need to know, as you're being persecuted, don't be alarmed, nothing is going wrong. It's not as if this is outside the plan of God, but this is actually your opportunity to be a witness. And this has to happen before the end can come. It's crazy how we can be duped into thinking that persecution has a negative effect on the gospel. And we avoid it at all costs so many times. Well, some, something's wrong if people are not receiving the message that I have, or if they're treating me poorly, like are people supposed to, no. Like persecute, that's what we expect as we're preaching the gospel. And persecution is not a negative effect on that. That could be further from the truth. I remember some people um, had determined to vote for uh, Donald Trump because they felt like it would lead to less persecution of the church in his presidency. Uh, maybe that's so, maybe that's not the case, but I'm, I'm not saying that we should vote for candidates that will bring on the most persecution for the church, but we shouldn't live our lives trying to avoid persecution as if that's dangerous to the gospel. No, it actually, oftentimes in history, moves the gospel along. What was the greatest, uh, most unjust persecution in history was the death of Jesus, and now the cross is maybe the most widely seen symbol of religion all over the world, right? So it's not that persecution snuffs the gospel, it actually spreads the gospel. And if you look at the uh, historical church, that is so often the case. I'm gonna read you one um, kind of recent um, illustration of that. Um, this is from Alan Hirsch's book, The Forgotten Ways. I don't recommend the book, but um, I recommend the first couple chapters, so there you go. Um, talking about the underground church in China in, in the 20th century. He says, about the time when Mao Zedong, I think, right? Uh, took power and initiated the systematic purge of religion from society. This is in the early 1900s. The church in China, which was well-established and largely modeled on Western forms due to colonization, was estimated to number about 2 million adherents. So 2 million adherents and at the time that this guy's starting to purge religion from the country. As part of the systematic persecution, Mao banished all foreign missionaries and ministers, nationalized all church property, property, so he gave it to the state, killed all the senior leaders, either killed or imprisoned all the second and third level leaders, banned all public meetings of Christians with the threat of death or torture, and then proceeded to perpetrate one of the cruelest persecutions of Christians on historical record. The explicit aim of the Cultural Revolution was to obliterate Christianity and all religion from China. At the end of the reign of Mao and his system in the late 70s, and the subsequent lifting of the so-called bamboo curtain in the early 80s, foreign missionaries and church officials were allowed back into the country, albeit under strict supervision. They expected to find the church decimated and the disciples a weak and battered people. On the contrary, they discovered that Christianity had flourished beyond all imagination. The estimates then were about 60 million Christians in China and counting. 
and it since then has continued to grow through that. Um, but the point is, persecution does not stop the gospel. It actually oftentimes helps to spread the gospel. Not saying that we, again, we don't have to look for it and try to walk into it. But as it's happening, and I think this is what Jesus is telling the disciples, as you experience the persecution that you're going to experience, and if we should experience persecution for our faith, that is not a bad thing. That is not that something is not going according to God's plan. Expect it and endure it. I know that's it's kind of a foreign concept to us. We don't think much about uh, being persecuted for our faith, and we don't, I, at least I don't see that coming in my life anytime real soon. Um, but it may, and if it does, that is an opportunity to bear witness to the person and work and salvation of Jesus. False Christs will tell you otherwise and say, well, that's not supposed to happen. I can comfort you, and I can give you peace, and you should have to experience that kind of persecution. I'll fix things. And Mark is writing persecuted Christians in Rome, saying, Jesus said this would happen to you. What you're experiencing, what you're going to experience more of, Jesus said it's going to happen, and so endure to the end. I think we would do well to... Um, expect that Christians will be persecuted. Uh, if we don't kind of expect it in a way, then when it happens, we start blaming God. Like, well, why aren't you allowing the success of my ministry? And why doesn't this person like me? And why am I being beat down or rejected? It's like, no, Jesus said that that is going to happen. So let's expect that. Um, or certainly not be surprised when it happens. Be on guard. Be on guard. There's false Christs that we need to watch out for, and there's suffering that we need to endure through. Secondly, other kind of main command that we saw is keep or stay awake. Keep awake. Jesus could come on the clouds at any time. I think that's the point of verses 32 to 37. You don't know when, so stay awake. Uh, I know Matthew 24 says, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, right? So we have a lot of missions organizations rightly concerned about reaching people groups who have never heard the gospel before. Um, It is questionable how we should understand the whole world and all nations. How exactly are we going to define that? Um, remember, the, uh, in kind of the verses of the things that Jesus told the disciples that are going to happen, and it's going to say, your generation isn't going to pass away till all of these things have happened, the gospel has kind of gone out into the world um, at that point, the Roman world at some point was covered with the gospel as the apostles and the evangelists go throughout there. Is it all types of people that are going to hear the gospel before the end of the world? Is it all like literal nation states or all just types of people or is it country? Like how, how are we going to know exactly when that moment is? How do we know exactly what Jesus uh, means saying that the gospel we proclaim throughout the whole world is a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, we have still, like I said, unreached people groups that need the gospel of Jesus, especially in that like 1040 window, right, in the, on the globe. And we would be sleeping if we don't go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And I think it's a good strategy, if you will, to say, what are the nations that have not heard the gospel? What are the areas that have not heard the gospel? I think we would be silly and selfish and disobedient if we don't make some sort of focus on reaching those nations. Um, so I don't want to downplay the Great Commission to reach all nations. 
I'm just saying that the exact fulfillment of that, I don't know that we're going to know that. I don't know if we can say, well, that's about, about 10 years away, or that's 100 years away, or maybe Jesus just meant, hey, the known world at the time of the disciples was going to be reached with the gospel. So the description of, well, I'll, I'll say one more thing about this. Much of the early church heard these same sayings of Jesus, like the gospel can reach the ends of the earth, and they expected Jesus to return in their lifetime. So if much of the early church expected that Jesus would return in their lifetime, I think we could especially expect, expect that that could happen in our lifetime. The description of Christ's return in verse 24 Well, sorry, I'm getting a little confused here. In eschatology, can be confusing. Verses 5 through 23 here, to some extent, have happened. We mentioned last week, there's a couple of abominations of desolation we've seen in history that are potentially fulfilling that. Um, there's earthquakes, there's famines, there's persecutions, there's tribulations, there's false Christs. Jesus, my point in this, keep awake, Jesus could come at any time. Stay awake. There's different interpretations of Matthew 13 and I'm sorry, Mark 13 and Matthew 24 and Daniel and Revelation. And we might kind of ask ourselves, well, why isn't just like like why can't it be spelled out spelled out clearly? Like why can't the church just agree throughout history kind of on the exact sequence of events and how things are going to go down? Could Jesus and John and Daniel like could they just not speak in so much code so everybody in Christian history could come to one interpretation, one sequence of events. Couldn't we better prepare ourselves if we knew, hey, we're at right now step 37 of 40 before Jesus needs to return. Why, I'll ask you guys this, why do you think it's important that his return date is unknown? Or I'll ask it this way, what would happen if we could know the day and the time or the hour of Christ's return, what might happen? We wouldn't really need faith. Okay, we wouldn't need faith. Anarchy, maybe. Okay. It would be like when I have an assignment in class. I put it off mm. till the night before. Me too. I knew if I knew that Jesus was coming back on a specific date, I would probably slack yeah. off a bunch and be like, eh, whatever, he's not coming for another two years. If we knew the day and the hour, I'm convinced that a lot of us would sleep until then. Or until close to it. We would set our alarms, so to speak, if we could predict that exact return. We set our alarms maybe for an hour before we need to leave the house, right? Denying myself, taking up my cross, following Jesus, that's hard work. What if I can just kind of procrastinate and make sure I'm doing the right things right at the end before he comes so I can be ready for his return, right? I mean, not only that, though, you have a whole, whole bunch of non-believers trying to get on the boat at the last second. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh my God. I believe, I believe, yeah. Step 39, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> go, go, go. Yeah, um, yeah I... It, it's kind of like, um, sometimes we feel about death, like, well, I know that I'm not going to die for a while, and so I don't have to get things right with Jesus, right, because I can just, you know, wait a little bit longer, or, man, my, my mom, if she's not sick and on her deathbed, then, you know, I'm going to make sure that I really tell her about Jesus then, but it's, it's kind of the, the same kind of feel, it's like, well, maybe I'm, I can just be comfortable for a while if I know that it's still going to be a little bit longer, or worse yet, hey, there's some things that I really want to do in life. So for, forget the good things that I should be doing, but there's things that I want to do in life, some worldly things that I want to accomplish before he comes. And I think if I'm judging it right, if I've got all the signs just lined up perfectly, then I can have a little longer to get my pleasures out of this life. It's kind of like Matthew's version says of this, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Luke's version says, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. That's sleeping. Stay awake. Also, what if Jesus told the disciples of the first century, hey, these things, the coming of the Son of Man, that's going to happen in 2068. You're going to be able to predict it. Do that. They'd get lazy probably. <laughs> think, man, I'm so far away from that. What difference does it make? I can't make a difference uh, in this world in that time. If the specific future day of the Lord was known, there would probably be one generation that took it very seriously, and that's the generation that he was supposed to return. I love verse 37, that last verse in the chapter. He says, what I say to you, Jesus says to the disciples, I say to all. This is one of those times that we read in Scripture that Jesus is speaking to us. He's talking about us. And he says, I tell you disciples, but I, I say it to all. Anybody who will hear or read or um, know what I'm saying here. All generations must know that the Lord is near. Y'all, it might be a couple thousand more years until Christ returns. But we all wait every generation with eager anticipation for that day, knowing that it might be today, or it might be tomorrow. And I think it's the fact that we can't know the day or the hour that demands us to always be ready. It creates an urgency in us to do everything, to do his work now while we can. It helps us to stay awake. I think a, a reasonable question comes up. Why has Jesus delayed so long? It's been thousands of years, right? The, the early church was expecting that Jesus could return at any moment. Are they just, I mean, chumps? Like, oh, they, they fell for it? Sorry, guys, it's going to be a couple thousand years, maybe three or four. I mean, what is the delay? Uh, Peter talks in, in 2 Peter, he says this. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles? Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. We might look silly to believe and be scoffed at to believe that Jesus could return at any time. That was the case for the first century Christians and second century and third century and fourth century, especially now in the 21st century. Where is his return? Things are continuing on and going along as they've always gone along. What is his delay? I think it's easy, personally, I know it's easy to follow, to fall into either, well, maybe, maybe I've misunderstood things. Like maybe he's not coming or maybe there's some kind of spiritual coming or maybe I've just kind of misunderstood this. Or more likely, this is for me, since he hasn't come in 2,000 years, he's probably not going to come tomorrow, right? It's like the next big L.A. earthquake. It's been 20 years. I know I need the preparation kit, but it's been so long, I can put it off on my to-do list until next week. Because sure, I mean, what are the odds that it's going to happen in the next week? But God gives us these words, stay awake. We wait eagerly for his return. In Romans 8, it talks about creation. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It says, in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We wait and wait and think, what could the delay be? The martyrs in heaven in Revelation 6 cry out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. 
I think, man, I've felt that before. We say, God, how how long? What is taking so long? The world is is a mess. You've made promises to us. We look like fools. What's the delay? The passage that I read in in Peter about the scoffers saying, hey, where's the promise that's coming? It goes on to say, do not over, this, this answers the question, by the way, real clearly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And listen to this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And it says in verse 15 of that chapter, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. It's, who here has like come to Christ just in, in recent years, in the last five or ten years, you just kind of really started following Christ. Yeah, like several, okay? Ten years? <laughs> so, well, I should say five years. I think it's like a young Who here has been born in the last ten years? Um, what if Christ had not delayed and came 15 years ago? These people would perish. In their sin. If Christ had returned 40, 50 years ago, then none of us would know him, the glory that is to be revealed. The delay of the coming of Christ is a delay in his judgment because of his good grace on humanity. He's not slow, as some count slowness, a thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years. He's not slow. He's patient with you. And he's patient with all who will believe in his name. That make sense? So in the meantime, be on guard. Don't be led astray by false Christs. Endure suffering for the gospel. And keep awake. Jesus could come at any time, we don't know. And lastly within that is he has a work for you to do while he tarries. Don't miss this part in the chapter, verse 34. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeepers to stay awake. Staying awake, knowing that the master of the house could come at any time, doesn't mean we just sit and, and kind of wait and we kind of tape our eyes open and drink lots of coffee so we won't fall asleep and we just sit there doing nothing. Um, the angels that tell the disciples about how Jesus is going to return, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? It's like they're saying, hey, you're going to know when he comes back. Now, now get to it. Get to the, the tasks that I've given you to do, the stewardship that I've given you to, to do. What kind of work does the master of the house have for us to do? I mean, it's, it's a little different, I think, for each of us, but what, what are some of those things that you think, man, this would be, this would be living in, in light of the fact that he could become, like, what, what types of things do you think we ought to be engaged with that Jesus is going to come back and say, oh, cool, you're, you're doing what I had told you to do, good and faithful servant? What do you think? What types of work does he have for us to do? Well, specifically, to make disciples, so to teach people about him. So to be teaching those who don't believe about who Jesus is, and to teach those who do believe who yeah. Jesus is. Which is exactly what the early disciples do, right? They, they're like, okay, oh, cool, so Jesus left, now we have work to do, and I mean, immediately, they're off to work of teaching about who Christ is. And they start spreading the gospel. Yeah. It's probably the big one that does. 
Pokemon would come out. You also get that in light of the patience of God, right? Like, God is being patient because he wishes that none should perish. So, how does he move towards that wish but uses us to preach the gospel to people so that they won't perish? It's also like, we call it, like, calling out injustice now, but in the Bible it would, it looked like, you know, people who are oppressed due to sin um, or sin being in the world or the products of sin. So like when Jesus is healing people, when he says to um, take care of widows and orphans, um, he kind of charges the church to to do that. Yeah. We're, you could say we're living into the new kingdom reality here on earth and what that looks like and what that will look like forever is um, well I don't know how you fight injustice in heaven but but a, a society where people are treated well and equally and in love and serving one another and, yeah. that's that's growing in holiness like there's there's also this sense if you read the New Testament that God has started this process in us of purifying us as we come to know him we he sanctifies us and we we, we work towards that. In the spirit, we work towards that sanctification, and it's as, as if he's, it's like the, the way in a manger song, fit us for heaven. He's, he's making us to be like Christ, and that work will only be complete when he returns, but that's part of the process that we're in now. And yeah? I was just going to say, part of that is also just being the church, and I think you brought it up last week, like gathering more often. It's like living into that kingdom reality. Yeah. is doing those things, but also like meeting and gathering. How we relate to each other, I think, is so important to making disciples, but also who you should be busy caring for one another and, um, yeah, loving each other as we've been loved and giving grace as we've been given grace. Yeah. It's being obedient, right? And obedient has, there's a, rejection of sin that that involves but there's also proactive I'm going to be obedient to make disciples and to love and serve and serve yeah. to to not stay awake is to live with no regard for his return it's kind of a double negative but to not live in light of his return can look a couple ways it can look like living in debauchery and because he's delayed well I'll just count my or hope that I'm not going to get it wrong and put it off a little bit longer. Or not expecting his delay could be doing nothing and just kind of sitting with our hands in our lap. That's, that's happened uh, for some of the end of the world predictions. People just kind of huddle up and go, okay, it's coming. They just kind of sit there and do nothing for a while until the date passes and they look dumb. <laughs> Don't let him find you sleeping. Do the work that he's given you to do. And be reminded, when you see the signs of the times, know that summer is coming. I'll read one last verse from 1 Thessalonians, another book that talks um, quite a bit about the end, just as an encouragement to us. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you, or you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. You see what he's saying? We're, we're people of the day, meaning we, we just we stay awake. We're always alert and ready. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. That's pretty true. Often. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, 
and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. I mean, awake or asleep, meaning living, or if we've already died, we will be alive with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Be on guard. Keep awake. He's coming. I don't know when. It might be tonight. It might be right now. Um, let's stay awake. Father, I ask that um, you would help us to hear kind of the, the overarching message of a, of a confusing, a bit confusing of a chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Um, would you help us to heed the warning that we should not fall asleep, we should not let our guard down, we should not just continue on as if you are not going to return. God, help us to know what it looks like to do the work that you've given us, the, the house managers, to do. Help us to know what you would find important, what you call us to, what our purpose as individuals, as a local church, as the global church. Help us to know what you call us to. Certainly we know that that involves speaking the truth about who you are and then living into the kingdom reality that has changed us and transformed us to look uh, like Christ and to look like, um, in some ways, the perfected community that we'll experience in heaven. Help us to live these things out, Lord. Help us just to not sit back and pretend like nothing's going to happen and just fall into the same trap that everybody else in this world apart from you falls into, just thinking, well, the next day is going to happen, the next day is going to happen. But help us, God, to be confident and hopeful of your return. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.